Church, Merry Christmas. Doesn't it feel like Christmas in here? Wasn't that cool? Amen. All right. Hey, uh, we're, we're starting our Christmas series, Do You See What I See? And um, uh, one of the things that you will not hear from me is the message about slow down and don't do as much Christmas stuff and all of that. Man, go to the parties and get a bunch of presents. I'm kind of right between a large, extra large. Kind of depends on the cut if that helps you out. Um, <clears throat> so knock yourself out. But the idea in this series over the next three weeks is, uh, is from that, that song, Do You See What I See? That that there's no better season um, than Christmas to, to understand this reality. When we see as God sees, we'll do as he says. And at Christmas, from the ground perspective, from the perspective of the shepherds and the wise men and the innkeepers and the, and the um, census takers, that it looked like everything was completely out of control. And yet, from the perspective of the angels and from those of us post-resurrection that understand that God was actually working a miracle in all that mess and it was actually the redemption of, of all creation and mankind. And so what we're going to talk about in the next three weeks is trying to, trying to by God's grace, getting to see the way God sees. And so um, with that in mind, we're going to kind of interrupt what we're talking about just to spend a little bit of time in prayer for two groups of people. One is for the, the folks in Connecticut as we just really join with everybody around our nation and just praying for them and the churches in that area. And then also way closer to home, praying for the Williams family. Um, if you'll remember, if you were here last week, Pastor Ben, our worship pastor, he shared with you uh, that his daughter Kaya had the flu, and then uh, in the spirit of Christmas and Christian love, she shared that with her whole family, and so uh, they've really just been kind of battling the flu. And so we got a text from Carrie Williams, who's on staff here, and Ben's wife, and he, she just said, uh, I just really miss my church, because, you know, when the family gets sick, it's all about mom taking care of everybody. And so uh, they're not here with us. I think Ben might be somewhere in the room. If you'd see him, I'd encourage you not to shake his hand, but just sort of <laughs> wave at him. But let's pray for, for all of that. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, Lord, we thank you that um, um, you really major in the messes. That God, you are a God of second chances and, and stepping into, from our perception, what looks like a mess. Uh, God, whether it's um, uh, sickness in a family uh, Lord, we lift up you, the Williams family, and pray for, for healing and, and healthiness and wholeness and just get them you know, back in, in our church family with us soon because we miss them too. And then, God, in the tragedies of this world, God, and so we lift up to you the families this day that are just um, blindsided by tragedy. And, God, we, we know that your desire is not for pain, but, God, you are sovereign, God. We claim your sovereignty, that you can work miracles even in that mess, even um, when individual people choose to do very, very evil things, that only an almighty sovereign God can step into that for the, the name and glory of your son, Jesus Christ. So we pray, God, somehow that you would do that even there, that you would draw men and women unto yourself through that tragedy. Holy Spirit, would you be a comforter in that place? God, would you give people a peace that surpasses all understanding? And God, we particularly pray for the churches in and around that community, God, that they would be gospel-centered, uh, Christ-centered churches that care deeply for the needs of that community and point people to the cross. And God, we pray um, 
especially in times like this, when it's very, very confusing to a God that's never confused, that's never surprised, and that nothing is over your head, over your head or out of your hands, God, that you are always in control. And so, God, would you be in control in that situation for the glory of your name? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, uh, as you're turning to Acts chapter 6, uh, one of the questions that we get a lot around here since, since we're a brand new church is, when is the Christmas Eve service? And I've got really good news for you. Uh, it's whenever you want it. Isn't that cool? You get to determine the, the Christmas Eve service, and here's why. We're not going to have one Christmas Eve service here at the Church of 1122. We're going to have at least about, I don't know, six to 800 Christmas Eve services all around the country, and the way we do that is we have prepared the Christmas Eve service for you. It's called Christmas in a Box, and at the end of the service, you just walk out, go to the the welcome desk or at the Connection Center or anywhere out there, and you grab one of these, and what we've done is um, we want to give you the opportunity to host a Christmas Eve service in your home, and there's really kind of three ways you could do it, I guess. Uh, One is you can invite your friends and neighbors that would not come to church with you, but they would come to something at your house, and you invite them in and host a Christmas Eve service. Or maybe you just gather with some friends and family, and you have your own little family service. That would be fine, too. Or for those of you that travel over the holidays, and you wanted to stay connected to the Church of 1122, this is a way that you do the Christmas Eve service that we're doing. And so we tried to make it super easy for you. When you open it up, there are some invitations in here. And again, it's, uh, it, it's just hosted by you, and you tell them where and what time it starts, and you can hand these out to your friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members and have them over to your house for a Christmas Eve service. And then there's an order of worship in here where it just tells you, uh, you know, how to gather and ask some questions and get it going. And then we filmed or, or recorded on a DVD a Christmas Eve service, so our band recorded some Christmas carols, and you guys can sing that. And if you're like me, if you want to sound really good, if you want to sound like Gretchen and Ben and Jonathan, and just turn it up really, really loud. And it's amazing what it does to your own voice. And so you crank that up, and you can sing that together. And then there's about an 8 to 10 minute Christmas message from me, filmed from a tree stand in Woodbine, Georgia. Praise God. So you know that's going to be awesome. So you get these on the way out, okay? You just grab one of these on the way out, and, and it's kind of self-explanatory. We might talk a little bit more about that. And then if you say, oh, but my family has to go to like a, you know, a location, go to a Christmas Eve service, then we just encourage you to every other church in Jacksonville has a Christmas Eve service. So pick any of those, just choose your flavor, and, and go to one of those and praise God, okay? And it's all good. But at my house, we'll be having our own little uh, Christmas Eve service. So grab those on your way out. All right, Acts chapter 6. We are. That's just kind of where we are in the book of Acts. And so, again, what we're going to be talking about the next three weeks is this idea. Do you see what I see? Is that when we can see as God sees, then we'll be more likely to do what God says. And that what may look like a mess or a tiny little event in, from our perspective, from God's perspective, it's just a part of His redeeming plan for this world. So Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, yay, right? You know, first five chapters of the book of Acts, the church is going great. I mean, uh, uh, Christ has resurrected from the grave. He's ascended into heaven. He's, he's given this great commission to all the people. They are preaching the gospel, and thousands of people are getting saved in the town where Jesus was crucified. And so the disciples were increasing in number, and a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Boo! Can you believe that there was a time in church history when church people would complain? Can you believe that? I know it's hard to believe, uh, thank goodness that we have grown past that, but, but when you first read that, 
When you say in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. I'm thinking, well, how in the world? What is there to complain about? Everything's going great. I mean, the church was just launched and literally upwards of 8,000 people have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And not just that, but you've got miracles going on. There are sick people who have been healed. There have been dead people who have come back to life. And this thing is exploding throughout Jerusalem. People from all the surrounding areas are bringing their lame and their sick into Jerusalem and they're being healed and they're seeing miracles every day. And even though the apostles and the disciples are being persecuted, God is miraculously getting them out of prison. I mean, what in the world is there to complain about? But you know what I know. Church people are notorious complainers. And let me tell you, do you know why you complain? And I know, not you, but you know, you know a guy that complains. Do you know why people complain? It's because you don't get what you want. Now, I didn't make that up. And James, that's Jesus' brother, James chapter 4, verse 1, James asked this question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And the answer, you want something and you don't get it. Don't you hate it when the Bible is so straightforward? Don't you like it when it speaks in parables and you don't know what he's talking about? But it just says straight up, uh, the reason people whine and complain or fight and quarrel is because you want something and you don't get it. And in the very first church, uh, there arose this complaint because there's a group of people and they want something and they don't get it. And, and church people complain about all kind of stuff. People complain about the music. Well, we don't like the music. Okay, and then write your own music, all right? Or the temperature is too hot or it's too cold. By the way, we try to make it as cold as we can in here. That's my goal, all right? We want to freeze it out. Some of it just has to do with beach people don't wear clothes, and I'm trying to help you there. Um, <laughs> some, you know, just, some people uh, they'll say, why is the music so loud? And you know what I always say? Huh? That's what I say to that. This is a good church complaint. Somebody was sitting in my seat. Oh, really? <laughs> well, where were you when we were setting them all up? Because I don't remember you setting up your seat, but we get that one sometimes. Uh, some people say, you know what? I had to walk so far. I mean, I had to park all the way at the end of the parking lot and walk. I mean, I felt like I, felt like I was following Moses, like the children of Israel, just wandering in the desert all the way here. I thought we were going to have golf carts and stuff to drive us up here. What happened? And the favorite, the favorite thing to say to a pastor, that what pastors really love to hear is this one. Well, at my last church, here's the way we did it. To which I would just encourage you to go back to your last church, all right? They're probably still doing it that way. And Americans are notorious for complaining. But what we complain about as Americans, we have first world problems. You know the difference between first world problems and third world problems? Uh, third world problems are the problems that our compassion children have. Right? Their, their problems, their complaints are things like, my sister just died of diarrhea. Uh, I can't find clean water. I wish I could go to school and be educated. And to which, can you imagine explaining your problems, your complaints to your compassion kid? Be like, oh, that is so sad. Well, mine, mine, mine's kind of the same. I mean, I can't get my iPhone charger to reach my bedside table. And so I feel like we're in the same kind of pain here, right? Or I've got to, I got to cook dinner again? Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's, it's like three times this week. And then, what am I going to do with all the leftovers, all right? 
That, that's a first world problem, that you open up your fridge and you've got, I've got nowhere. I have so much leftover food in here. What am I going to do with all of this stuff? Or a first world problem is walking into a small room in your house full of clothes. And you think, I have nothing to wear. That is a first world problem. Now, I've got to be honest with you because it sounds like I'm beating up on you, and, and, which I love to do. It's like a hobby for me. But honestly, Church of 1122, you, you don't complain much. We get very, I mean, we just don't have a lot of complaining from you. And I think a part of it is because we don't fuel it. Like, we just kind of don't hear it a lot. Because uh, when people come and complain, we go, oh, okay, I hear you complain. And Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. So let's see if it, fo- yep, it follows under the everything category. Uh, so shut up, and I'll see you next week. All right, so <clears throat> that's kind of how we roll. Now, now, what I love about this, though, is that the people complaining in this church, they couldn't even church shop because there was only one church. So it wasn't even, well, if you don't get it right, I'm going to go to the new church, all right? There, there's only one. And so I also kind of feel like the apostles are, are saying, all right, well, what's the complaint? All right, what's the complaint? And it better be good, okay? Because I am fresh off of a flogging. Remember last week? My back still isn't even healed up from the cat of nine tails whipping, okay? I'm going through cases of neosporin a week. So what is it that you have to complain about? We're all ears. And, and here's the complaint. A complaint. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. To which you go, oh, well, that's kind of legit. So there's this group of widows, and in the first century, if you were a widow, if you didn't have a husband or some children to take care of you, then you were dependent on somebody to meet your needs. And what the apostles are saying here is, okay, this is a legitimate need. To which I want you to hear this. We will not fuel a spirit of complaining around here. And my job is not to coddle you. But boy, do we want to hear your needs. You have wide wide open ears for the staff and the elders. And we love you enough to go quit whining if it's whining. And to say um, what is important to you is important to us. Because you're important to us. And there's that. It's not either or. It's always uh, trying to do both ends. And so the apostles take this, this complaint or this need very, very seriously. That there's this group of Hellenistic widows. If you'll remember back at Pentecost when, when Peter preaches the gospel, there were people from all different languages that were getting saved and surrendering their life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so now in the very ch- first church, it was a mega church, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. There's this administrative problem. The, the apostles, the preachers, and the, and the teachers, the needs of the people have outgrown the ability of the leaders of the church to administrate the daily distribution of food to all the people. And a big part of it is because this one group of people, um, they speak Greek, and all the apostles speak Aramaic. And so there's some administrative breakdown here. It's not that they didn't want to meet the needs of the widows. It's just the thing got so big so fast that they couldn't meet everybody's needs. But, but that doesn't mean that these needs weren't legit and that the needs didn't need to be, meet by, need to be met by someone. And so here's what they do. They're going to take action here. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. So they got everybody together. They had this big church business meeting because this thing is serious. This isn't people complaining about they didn't like the style of music or the color of the carpet. This is a legit need. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples together. And here's what they say. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, 
Here's what the apostles understood. This need is important, and this need needs to be met. And the apostles are not saying, but us serving the tables is beneath us. That's not what they're saying at all. And we'll find that out in just a second. But what the apostles understand is that they understand that they have a specific gifting and calling. And for them to step away for the preaching and teaching of the Word of God to meet the needs of the people would be... um, They say it wouldn't be right, literally in the Greek, that that phrase, it is not right, it's literally translated, it would not be pleasing in God's eyes. In other words, God has gifted us with different spiritual gifts and talents and abilities and put us together as one family to both preach and teach the word and meet the needs of the people. That it's both and, it's not either or. And so the apostles understand that uh, really the less you do, the more you accomplish that what you should do is what God has created you to do. That you should do what only you can do and then watch God do the rest. And so that's why they say, listen, God has called and equipped us as apostles to be the, the preachers and the teachers of the, of the word. And they're going to put together a team of people to go out and serve the needs of the people. And it's really how we've tried to organize this church, the Church of 1122. Because you know how long it took for us to outgrow the ability of the paid staff to meet the needs of the people? Just our opening day. I mean, from that day on, we were already too big to be able to meet everyone's needs. But that doesn't mean that the needs of our people aren't legit. They're very, very legit, and they need to be met. But they just, quite honestly, I can't be the one that meets them all. And so the the apostles understood this. They understand that when you get focused on what God has called you to do, then he surrounds you with people that get focused on what he's called them to do so that we could be one body. And that you're not supposed to be all the parts of the body. You just play your part well. Because the more focused you are on accomplishing something, the, the, the better you are at it. The less you do, the more you accomplish. I am a perfect example of this at home when Gretchen leaves me alone with the children. Okay? Because what happens is I can... I can do one of two things well. Well, I can do one well, and then I can try to do the other one. So in that moment, I can either father our children and make sure they're safe and, and happy and healthy and whole and all those things, or I can clean up the house, but I cannot do both, all right? Because I, I, what happens is I get distracted. I get distracted. I think, all right, Gretchen's going to be home in two hours, and so I, I'm going to have the house cleaned up by the time she gets back. And, and I do the butt first. I, I'm a victim of the butt first. I don't know if you know about this. I, all the husbands do. I'm like, oh, I'm going to clean out the, the dishwasher. And then I start cleaning it out. I'm like, oh, but first I need to uh, clean out the refrigerator. And then I start cleaning out. And I go, oh, but first I need to take out the trash. Oh, but first Sports Center's on. And then I'm done. Okay, so that's kind of how it works. And so we just decided, like, I can do either one. I can get really focused on fathering our kids or I can clean up. I don't know how she does both. All right, she has this, this beautiful ability of, of taking care of our kids and cleaning the house. I mean, people come into our house and go, wow, are you putting your house up for sale? I'm like, no, it just always looks like this, okay? That's just how she does it. But I can't do it. If she's gone for an hour, it looks like a tornado has come through the place. And... The same thing would be true if I took response or if I had the, the duties of everything that happens here at this church. None of it would be done well. None of it would be done well. And so what the apostles, they understand, look, we are going to stay prioritized on teaching and preaching the word of God. Not to the neglect of the widows, but we're going to get those needs covered too. Verse 3, therefore... Like, since we're not going to stop preaching and teaching, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men. 
Now, they didn't just have sign-ups. They didn't have everybody that wants to go feed people raise your hand, but they're going to pick these people out. And, and they create a criteria or like a covenant. And here, here's the criteria. So you're going to pick out seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint to this duty. Now, here's what you've got to see. They did not abdicate responsibility of taking care of the widows. They just delegated the duty of taking care of the widows. You see the difference? They didn't just go, well, these women need to quit complaining because we got stuff to do. No, they said, no, these are our people. They're in our family. This is a legitimate need, and it needs to be taken care of. It just doesn't have to be taken care of by us. So we're going to raise up this group of leaders, and we're going to launch them or send them to take on this duty. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So you see what they do. There's a legitimate need in the church. And here's what we're going to do. We're not going to stop preaching and teaching and leading. And what we're going to do is raise you up to meet the needs of the people in our church. And then, and then he says it again, and we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In other words, that we're going to be partners in this thing together. That not only, not only will we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we will demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to play my part, and you're going to play your part, and we are going to work together as a team to not only preach the gospel, but to live out the gospel. And one of us without the other, it just won't work. But both together, we will be the body of Christ that God has called us to be. Which, by the way, is why most churches don't make it past about 125 people. Now, let me just say this. I, I don't want to be critical of a small church that God intends to be small. All right, It might be a small community or whatever. But there are a lot of churches, and God has a greater dream for that church. But the problem is, is that it all bottlenecks at the leadership, and there's one person saying, I have to do everything for everybody, and one person can only take care of about 100 people. And shame on the person leading that church that doesn't relinquish some of that and raise up some people to help them accomplish all that God has in store for that church. For instance... Look right back over here in the back corner of our church. You see the needs board? I mean, it is full of needs. We thought it would be a good idea during the last series, Taking Care of Business, that, that we would just say, you know what, just like the Bible, there are lots of needs among our people, so why don't we equip our people to meet our people's needs? I mean, it's just like family, just taking care of each other. And what we realized, there's a lot more needs than, than we realized. And now, are they important? You better believe it. And is there something in me that wants to meet each and every one? Yes. I'm telling you, there's something in me that wants to visit every person from our church in the hospital, that wants to, to call every one of the prayer requests and let them know, look, I am praying for you, that wants to be the person that goes back there and tries to meet every one of those needs. And then when I realize that, that that's really about me and not about meeting those needs. And if I were to spend all week going through the needs board and doing everything I could within my power to meet all of the needs, it would be honorable, but I think it would be unwise. I don't think it would be pleasing in the sight of God. And that's why I need you and we need each other as a family so that I can stay focused on leading and preaching and teaching like God has called me to lead and preach. Now, that doesn't mean that those needs are beneath me. I should meet a few of them. My family should meet a few of them, just like everybody else in here should meet a few of those. But if I spent all my time 
meeting the needs that way, I wouldn't be able to meet our church's need that God has uniquely placed me in this position to do. And it's why we're organized the way we're organized. It's why I am able to spend about 20 hours a week studying God's Word and praying like crazy and reading through commentaries and writing sermons and preparing to do the thing that God has called me to do. And a part of that is raising up God's people to meet the needs that are in His church. Now, let me warn you of something. You know what happens in a ton of churches and, and the reason a ton of churches quit growing and quit reaching people for the name and the renown of Jesus Christ? Is because it doesn't take long for a church to get more concerned about making church people comfortable than reaching people that are far from God. Now we're only 13 weeks old, so right now we're pretty laser focused on on not making people comfortable but making disciples. But I'm telling you, every church drifts towards making the church people comfortable. You know why? Because all I know is church people. I've never had somebody in the community just come in and complain. It's usually the church people that are complaining. And if church leadership isn't careful, it'll get turned inward just about making church people comfortable instead of making disciples. And my calling is not to make you comfortable. My calling is not to coddle church people. But my, you know what I love to do? I mean, I love to make you uncomfortable, not comfortable. Actually, what I really love to do, Pastor Ryan described it this way one time, what I really love to do is make you laugh, 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 and then punch you in the spiritual gut and watch you cry. That's what I love to do. And then watch you limp out of here and do something different. And then God does something in you to the point where when he places you next to somebody in need, you say, I know what that need's about. I've been in that same boat. Come with me. Let's, let's go and let me put you in the environment where God changed my life. This thing is supposed to be like a life vessel, not a cruise ship. A life vessel is a bunch of saved people hopping in a boat, going out, maybe, maybe very, very uncomfortably, looking out for other people that are far from God, saying, here I am, I need help. And if you're not careful, a church, a church is notorious for turning it into a cruise ship, where it's still a boat and it still has some of the same... Uh, some of the same dressings as a lifeboat, but essentially it's just there to please the people on the boat. That is not what we will be about. And if you have needs, will we try to meet them? You better believe it. It's so that you can be healthy enough to hang off the edge of the boat and continue to be the rescuer that our rescuer has called us to be. Now the good thing is, though, that we see here in Acts, it's not either or. It's both and. We're not here to coddle the church members. But look, you're part of the family. And we love you. And when you have needs, they need to be met. And they need to be met in the name of Jesus. It just, I just won't be able to meet them all. And, I, and honestly, I really wish I could. I mean, I really wish I could. I'll meet some of them. I'll still visit some people in the hospital and some of those things. But what we really need to do is continue to raise up an army of serve staff. So that, so that all the needs of our folks can be met. So that you can take your position on that life vessel and continue to be used of God to reach out to those people in need. And so one of the, I don't know if you've ever been in this position. It's just happened to me in the past couple of years, but it's kind of weird. It's really weird. Um, I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where a lot more people know you than you know them. So pretty much in our life right now, uh, if Gretchen and I go to, pretty much any restaurant right around here, or any grocery store, or anything like that, then, then we run into you guys, and, and you guys say hey to us. And it's always kind of weird, because I see you recognizing me before you realize it, all right? You get this look in your eye like, I think that's our pastor, all right? I can tell. 
And so when I see you kind of eyeballing me, I, you know, I'll be in the frozen food section at Publix, and I'll just kind of give you the wave. And then you're like, huh. And you come over. And let me tell you what you do. You always apologize. You always apologize. I'm so sorry to bother you. All right? As if I'm like, hey, I'm really focused on frozen foods right now. Don't bother me. <laughs> and you always go with this one. I know you're so busy, but I just wanted to, and you have a little story to tell. First of all, there's no apology. Are you kidding me? There's no apology. I love meeting our people. I do. It, it's, I mean, we're family, right? We're all a big family, so don't ever apologize about that. Just come on over and say, hey, and let's get to know each other for a minute at wherever we are. And you just got to give me this, though. When you extend your hand and you say, hi, I'm Ted, then I'm going to say, hi, I'm Joby. Don't reply. I know who you are because I just don't know what to say, okay? <laughs> a typical American greeting is you do your part, and then I get to do my introduction, and then it's back to you, and you can say whatever you want to say, all right? So just let me, let me do that. Because how arrogant would it be if I was like, obviously, you know me. I'm not going to do that. That's, that's very Ron Burgundy. I'm not going there. So just say, hey, I'm, I'm Joby. And then here's typically what happens. You begin into this thing, and here's the language that you use that I need to correct you on. You'll go, um, Pastor, I've been coming to your church for however long, and, and we just love your church. To which I go, time out. If you've been coming to the church of 1122, then it's our church. It's not my church. It's our church. It's like a family, a big, dysfunctional family. And if you're in the family, then you're in the family. It's not just my family. It's our family. And we have different roles. And, I am, and, and I'm humbled that, that my role is to be the lead pastor of this and that I have a certain role to play in this family, but that you are a part of the family too. So it's our family. It's our church. And your role is no less important than my role. It's just different. And we need each other For this family to be everything that God has called it to be. And so, in the very first church, the reason that they assemble a team is not because they don't love the widows, but it's because they love the widows and the entire church. And the apostles realized to to neglect their gift to the church would be to neglect the entire church for the sake of these few widows. And so, it's really both. That they love the entire church. Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. In other words, when the apostles described to the, to the gathering of disciples, hey, listen, we got to keep preaching and teaching the word because that's what God has called us to do. And we need to raise some of you up to serve like crazy. That, that the people in the church, they weren't offended by that, but this church understood the mission. Our church, I want our church to understand that the church of 1122 is for all people, all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we just have different roles. And so this church was on mission, and it pleased the whole gathering. And so they chose Stephen. We'll talk about him in a few weeks. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And this is the first example of a commissioning of a group of deacons or servants in the church. Currently, right now, we are in a season where we're identifying deacons in our church, men and women in our church that are the lead servants in our church. And just like in Acts chapter 6, there's a criteria that those folks have to meet. And then we will identify places of service for them and lay our hands on them and commission them and send them out. And in fact, if you're here this morning, and obviously you are, then you experience... This idea 
of the pastor and staff of a church working with the volunteers of the church to make this thing happen. You know what's great about just teaching through the book of Acts? You know why we're not teaching on finding a place to serve today? We're not teaching on it because we have this great need. Like we've got this ministry area that we've got to get a bunch of people to sign up for so the preacher has to preach a sermon on it to guilt you into signing up. In fact, over 500 of you have already been through the training and all that it takes to be on our serve staff. And today, you experienced what our serve staff is all about. I mean, when you pulled into the parking lot, there was somebody there to help park your car. You know, at some places, you can pull into parking lots and try to figure that out on your own, but not here at the Church of 1122. We don't want you to be confused. We want you to know that it goes between the lines, and then we don't want you to get out and then wander into the traffic. We point you right here into the church. And I know at some places you open your own doors, but not here. We have serve staff to open the door, to greet you, to hand you a bulletin, to work the welcome center, uh, to work the connect center at the end. That that somebody, did you know there were actual people that got this place clean for you? Because that 9 o'clock crowd, I mean, they might get up early, but boy, they can trash a, a worship center in a minute. And we've got serve staff to help get everything set back up for you. And many of you experience checking your children Um, into our new gen ministry area. And right now, there are volunteers, serve staff people on the other side of that wall, and they are discipling your kids in the name of Jesus. And we have a security team. I mean, you want to talk about something important. We have a security team. You ever try to get in there without your little badge on your arm? So don't be complaining to me about, you know what, I I got a badge here. Listen, it's a part of... It's a part of us trying to take care of your children. It's why we have armed police officers here, and, and some of them are uniformed and some of them not. I'm not going to tell you who they are, right, because they're watching you right now. If you get shady, you're out. <laughs> got a security team. All of that is because if it was all left up to me, it would be a train wreck. Where would we be without our volunteers? They make it happen every single day. And we're not in a great need of a whole bunch more. The first time we made a call before we launched the Church of 1122, we had over 400 people show up to be on our serve staff. And then uh, just a few weeks ago, we had another onboarding, and we had another 100 of you. So we've got over 500 of you serving on our serve staff. And I just say, praise God, every week, you and I, we join together to accomplish the mission of this church. And so... I think there's 164 people that have surrendered their life to Christ so far. And, and, and the parking lot guy, it's just as much of what God has done through him as it is through me. That we join together as a team. Now, now don't, don't look at your Bible. Don't read verse 7. But if you, if you were to just to think logically about, all right, in chapter 6, verse 1, it says there's a need arose. And then the preachers, the apostles, the teachers said, well, we're, we, can't, we, uh, we can't stop preaching. We've got to raise up a team of people to go feed the widows. And so they raise up a team of, wid- of, of people to go feed the widows and send them out. What would the result be? You would think that the Bible... Now, don't read it. I know you want to read your Bible bad right now. Go ahead. Look at me. You would think that it would say something like, and the widows were fed, or and the needs were met. But that's not what the Bible says. Look at verse 7. Here is the result of the pastors and teachers working together with the the people that stepped up to do their part. Here's the result, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
Do you see what happened here? The result is not just some widows got fed. The result is more disciples were made. And particularly, there was this one little group of people that hadn't been reached yet. This is the first time the scriptures say that a group of priests have come to the Lord. You see, the priests, that priests by nature are kind of wimpy guys, or kind of empathetic guys. They, uh, they, they really hurt for people that are hurting. Because what a priest's job is, is to stand in the gap between people and God. Now, as, as Protestant Christians, we understand that Jesus is the great high priest, and we, we all, we don't need that person to stand in the gap anymore. Jesus did it on our behalf, and now we come directly to the Father. But the people who are priestly, they tend to, they tend to um, really hurt for those who are hurting. And, and you've got to know that they had heard the proclamation of the gospel by Peter many, many times, but it's now that they see the demonstration of the gospel that God uses that to draw them unto himself. And so the result of this group of people feeding the widows that needed food isn't just that more widows got food. The result is that God used that to make more disciples, to lead more people unto himself. In other words, God uses our simple act of service to enact his supernatural plan of salvation. That God uses our simple act of service to enact his supernatural plan of salvation that God uses our simple act of holding doors and handing out bulletins and getting a, a, a worship center ready, our simple acts of working in the parking lot, of checking in kids, of being a disciple maker, he uses those simple acts of service to enact his supernatural plan of salvation. And oftentimes what people do is they, they sit back and they think, well, what can I do? I can't do anything. I can't preach or I can't sing or what can I do? To impact this world. And you think since I can't do something for everybody. I'm not going to do anything. What we see right here. What God uses is he uses people who are obedient. Just to do something for somebody. And he enacts his supernatural plan of salvation. There's a guy in the room right now. He's become a good friend of mine. His name's Ron Gibson. And uh, he uh, got saved at 1122. At one of our very very first services. I mean very early on. He wasn't really a fan of church. Didn't want to go to church. His wife made him come. Imagine that. You ever heard of that happening? And uh, so, fellas, I'm with you. Uh, I'm glad you're here. So he shows up, and he thinks, I'm not going to church. Church is boring. And then the band starts, and he goes, wait a minute. This is like a cold place concert. This is all right. This ain't like regular church. And kind of got into it. God saved him. And so as, as Ron's being a disciple, we talked about, where are you going to plug in, Ron? You've got to serve. It's just a part of what it means to be a disciple. And he goes, well, I can't sing. I can't preach. I mean, you know, what can I do? And then he sees that, that we have an opportunity to serve in the parking lot. And he's thinking, you know what? He's kind of a country guy. He's thinking, I've been to enough state fairs. I can get a bunch of cars lined up in the parking lot. I can do this. And so he starts serving every week out in the parking lot, just welcoming people, greeting people. Well, one of our early services here, just, you know, a couple of months ago, this lady comes tearing into the parking lot, and, and she is kind of freaking out. She's just trying to get to UPS. And she's thinking, what in the heck is going on here? I've been to this church, I've been to this parking lot a number of times, and it used to just be like a ghost town, and now all of a sudden, man, it's like a, you know, like a ball game or something. What is happening? And so we love our neighbors, you know, all of our neighbors over here, Bittersweet and Dick's Wings and Owls and even like the Wacky Tobacco or whatever they are. We love all of them. And so we, uh, we save parking spots for all of them every Sunday. It's a part of what our parking team does is make sure that, that they can receive customers. And she, some, she comes pulling in for the UPS and she's just got a package to deliver. And so we get her right in front of the UPS. And then Ron opens her door and greets her and points her to the UPS. And she's going, what is going on here? 
And Ron Gibson goes, you're not going to believe this, but there's a church going on in the old Walmart. They preach from ladies' accessories. Remember that? (laughs) So she goes in and, you know, does her deal in UPS, and she walks out. And the curiosity is just killing her. So instead of going to her car, she hangs a left, and she goes down to the service, and Ron tells me the car doesn't leave until the service is over. And then the next week, same car comes up, but it's not for a UPS spot. It just parks in a regular spot, and in she comes, and now she worships with us. She's a part of the family. Why? Because God takes simple acts of service and enacts supernatural plans of salvation. I mean, it's really, it's really amazing. Like, for example... Christmas in a box. Do you know you could just host a Christmas service in your home? And you think, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I, I'm definitely not a worship leader. That's okay. But you know what you can do? You have neighbors. And you can invite them over to your house. And, and, and you may not have, be able to work a DVD player, but you might have a teenager that can help you with that. And y'all can work together as a team. And you just do what you can do. And then watch God do what he does. I mean, that's it, that God uses our simple acts of service, our simple acts of service to enact his supernatural plan of salvation. And again, we're not in great need of a a whole lot of folks to sign up for something right now. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to our website, coe22.com slash serve. And we've put put a little tool on the website to help you understand how God has gifted you or shaped you to serve. Because my job is not to just cast this vision and then get all of you to accomplish God's vision in my life. As the lead pastor or the lead servant in this church, my job is to serve you, to help you understand how God has gifted and shaped you to accomplish God's call in your life. And then what happens is God just puts us all together. They're heading in the same direction, and we do this thing together as a family. So first and foremost, I want you to go to the website, and I want you to... To, to discover how he shaped you. And then at our church, there's basically three different areas that you can serve in. One is we serve each other. And that's when you serve at church. Okay, that's what it is. And every week, if, if you go into the Connect Center right back here or at the welcome desk, you can always pick up one of these flyers, and it's just all the service opportunities. And it's everything from parking lot to security to work with kids or students, whatever it is. And as God leads you, then that's what you do. You sign up and, and you serve there. Can I tell you, uh, the, one of the best ways to serve each other right now is before and after every service that you would go to the needs board and that the Holy Spirit would lead you to meet some needs of some other people in our church and that we, just like the Acts 2 church, would just be serving one another. And if you are on our serve staff, let me just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. That the church of 1122 would not do what God has called it to do if it were not for you playing your role. And you playing your role allows me to play my role. And that's how this whole family works together. Secondly, you could serve locally. You could serve locally. One of the questions I get when I talk a lot about missions and going on mission trips is, what are we doing right here in Jacksonville? And I love to ask the people that ask me that, well, tell me what you're doing first. The answer is always, crickets. All right, Nothing. So last week on your seat, we just had this little flyer that said, serve, being generous during Christmas. And it's not just during Christmas. We partner with these organizations year-round. And you can get one at the Connect Center at the Welcome Desk. And it's just a lot of the ministries that we partner with. One is the, the MARC, McKinsey Academic Resource Center, that, that we're partnered particularly with the one at Countryside Mobile Home Community. And they need, um, 
they need mentors and tutors. And so if you've graduated from third grade math, then congratulations, you've been gifted and qualified to go help tutor kids in the name of Jesus and help break the cycle of poverty that keeps happening. That you would just do, that you would just do something for somebody. That you wish you could do for everybody, but you would do something for somebody and then just watch God do His thing. And so these, our, our local partners, are, we put them back over there by the needs table. And again, Connect Center, Welcome Desk. And not just tonight, or not just this morning, every week, these are always there. Some of you need to go get plugged in there. Uh, one of my favorites is some of you need to serve globally. The Bible says that we as a church are supposed to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. Well, I can't go to all the ends of the earth, all right? And so we all need to. And every, every single week in the Connect Center and the, and the missions booth and all out in the lobby, you can pick up one of these flyers. And it has one of the 13 mission trips that we're going on next year. And you need to go on one. The next one's coming up. Or Pastor Ryan's leading one to Jamaica. And then shortly after that, I think in the next week, uh, I'm leading one to Jamaica. And you need to go. You need to go. And I need you to go. And if you promise not to tell anybody, I'll tell you a secret. Um... What, what always happens, and you can ask any person who's serving in the name of Jesus, no matter how big the job or small the job, what always happens is you think you're going to do something for somebody else. And what you realize is that maybe the biggest thing God intends to do to you this year is what he wants to do through you. So for me, now again, don't tell anybody, you'll ruin my reputation. But the reason I go on all these mission trips and I serve and I go back there and grab a couple of the needs and try to meet those, you know, with my family, the reason is because I'm addicted to intimacy with God and I never feel as close to God as when I'm serving in Jesus' name. And when I get to see God take a simple act of service, and enact his supernatural plan of salvation, it's the most humbling and rewarding thing that I ever get to be a part of. And I'd love for you to have the same experience that I have. It's a part of your disciple-making process. And so, guess what? On the very first Christmas, on the very first Christmas, no one knew this better than the shepherds in the field. Did you know that in the first century, well, we think shepherds are kind of awesome because of all the Christmas pageants that we've been to, you know, and, and see the cute kids with the bathrobe and the little, uh, you know, little broom handle, and we think, oh, wow, they're kind of a big deal. But in the first century, uh, uh, shepherds, they were totally unqualified for anything. In, in fact, uh, they were so mistrusted and distrusted by first century society that the testimony of a first century shepherd was not admissible in a court of law. Because they were nomads. They had no home address. They couldn't build a credit score. You know, how can you trust these guys? They just wander around and they're with sheep all the time. And so we can't trust these guys. They're totally unqualified. And then who does God use at the very first Christmas to be the first herald of the coming Messiah? Well, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising 
God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. You see, God used ordinary people to be the heralds of an extraordinary message that Emmanuel, God, was with us. Did you know that God wants to use you, just ordinary, average people like us, to do extraordinary things? And you know how I know that God continues to use the ordinary and unqualified to do the extraordinary? Because I am one. I am one. I live it and breathe it every week of my life. So would you please stand and pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much um, for the example of the shepherds, ordinary, unschooled, unqualified people that were available to do what they could do. God, they could go to Bethlehem and they could witness something and then they could go home and talk about what they had seen and heard and that you would do what you do. You would join them with a, a choir of angels to sing glory in the highest. God, I pray for the men and the women and the students in this place that would be moved this day to discover how you've shaped them for their ministry. God, we thank you and we praise you that there is no small ministry, God, just different parts of one body. God, we thank you what you are doing through the, through the body of this local church, the Church of 1122, for Jesus' name and his name alone. So God, would you stir some people in this place to meet the needs of our church family here? They would go to the needs board and that you would lead them to a specific card to be, to be knit together with a specific family to meet a specific need. God, would you raise up in this place, God, some people that are just passionate about serving our local community, God, serving this city, and just linking up with some of the ministries. God, whether it's one we partner with or not, it doesn't matter. God, we just want to serve in your name. And God, would you stir us up to, to as we go, we would make disciples to the very ends of the earth. And God, we thank you so much that some of the biggest things that you intend to do in us this year or what you want to do through us this year. We give you all the honor and praise. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this point in our service is when we respond. We respond to the gospel. We don't initiate. God initiates. And the way we respond is you bring your tithes and offerings to the offering boxes in the front or in the back. Or you could give through the giving kiosk over there. Or maybe you're going to respond by coming to the altar and saying, Okay, God, here I am. Send me. What, what do you? How do you want to use me? Or you could respond by going to the needs board and... and grabbing one of those, or you can respond by picking up a Christmas in the box and, and say that you're going you're gonna to do that this year. And then we all together with one voice, we respond by lifting up the name of Jesus. So let us respond.